Yeah, we got some fresh new beats here on Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show. Um, I think we can still call it that, even though my boy Mike Sielski is not in the house. Uh, who is in the house are two of our esteemed baseball scribes, Scott Lauber and Matt Breen, checking in from Cincinnati. Are you guys still with me? What's up? Where are you? I'm, I'm here. Good, good. We are we're playing with house money then because the technology thus far has, has worked out for us. Um, we are going to be talking today about the Philadelphia Phillies, your Philadelphia fighting Phillies. As Reese Hoskins says, it's time to believe. Uh, Breen, I may owe you an apology. I don't know if you remember uh, way back when. I, I remember. <laughs> I, have, I have it all saved. I'm just waiting. to. to I, I, I didn't know you would come clean. Yeah, well, I actually just kind of thought about it for the first time. Um, I have not been believing. Um, I, I have been waiting for the bottom to fall out for the last month or so. Mainly on the pitching end of things, which is where you and I debated months ago uh, when you got back from Clearwater about whether or not this Phillies team should be expected to be in the hunt. Um, and right now, I mean, they're they're running out of time to run out of time, you know? Yeah, it's almost August, and uh, I think I said that they would get to September and be in the hunt still, and that was that was our main argument. So I got one more month left so I can win this bet. What did we actually end up betting? Nothing, just pride, which is all that matters. That is all that matters. Um, Scott Lauber, you, uh, you you hooked up on this Phillies beat, what, a week into the season? Were you there for opening day? Uh, no, two weeks in or so. Um, so, yeah, I was still doing the Red Sox for the first couple of weeks, and they came over. So, Scott, for those of you who have not been breathlessly following our Phillies coverage here at the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philadelphia Daily News, Scott – um, is our new Phillies beat writer, co-Phillies beat writer. I don't know what your guys – do you guys have titles? Um, are you no. the, Is Breen the assistant to the Phillies beat writer? The assistant Phillies beat writer? Scott's the boss. I'm Scott's uh, intern. You're du- <laughs> so, wait, so are you Dwight or are you Ryan? I'm not an office guy. I know that's office reference, so. I'm does that Dwight. make me, that make me I, Michael? Yes. Yes, it does. And you should be absolutely thrilled. I don't think I want that. Can I be, can, can I decline that? <laughs> no, it's too late. Too oh, late. Okay. I've, I, I'm Jan. I make the rules. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, when you, for those of you who do not know, Scott um, was hired uh, to, to commandeer the Phillies beat in April. He was a longtime <laughs> Phillies beat writer for the Wilmington News Journal before moving up to Boston, shipping up off to Boston, I believe they say. Um, yeah, it's, it's called the reverse Papel bond. Yes, <laughs> except you didn't. I went up there. He came down here. So, except yeah, you actually left. What that was. You left the bridges intact. You did not firebomb them on your way out. So, so here you are. <laughs> That's right. Um, so the question is, when you when you took this job, did you did you honestly think the Phillies were going to be uh, where they are right now? Well, all right. Let me let me rephrase no, that because nobody kidding? nobody expected that. What did you expect out of the Phillies? Did you think they would be anything better than ahead of the Marlins? Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, look, the Marlins. I I think we felt like we're going to be the last place team in the division, uh, and it wasn't even going to be close. Um, the Mets have made that close, but um, you know, as they I, I as they're that, want to look, do. Yeah, exactly. Like they should never be. Uh, under is it underestimated or overestimated uh, for for how dysfunctional they are but um no i i got back here thinking that um you know a 500 season would be looked upon as progress um like most people i sort of felt like next year was really the year to get excited about uh that this year was going to kind of be the prelude to that like we would see some progress we would see some some strides in that direction but 
you know, that the Nationals were going to win the division again, and you know, anything over anything 500 or better by the Phillies would be viewed as um, you know a successful year and and a, a step in in the right direction. So that's kind of how I looked at it. The other way I looked at it was after a couple of years in a row of um, of uh, covering Red Sox teams that were back in the postseason that I'd have most of October off. Um, that's not going to happen, I don't think. So, you know, look, I, I think that they've they've exceeded all of our expectations. The fact that we are here on the doorstep of August and talking about um, not just not just a, a playoff race, but but a first place team seems kind of inconceivable. So, um, you know, I know Reese Hoskins said yesterday that look, we're past the narrative of are we a good team? I mean, I think the question is an answer that yes, they are. And yet it's still a little bit difficult to kind of process that in your mind, given where you thought that they would be when the season started. Well, we'll get, we'll get into a, a little deeper into, into the reality of this team um, within the context of uh, the purpose of the show, which is to set up the trade deadline, uh, which I'm sure will be something will happen as we're recording that will completely render everything that we talk about meaningless. Uh, for and just, force us all to hang up the phone. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. A case study. Uh, my phone just buzzed, and Philly's PR lit up, and and I, my heart dropped. But uh, they're just announcing that the uh, 2008 World Champions will return to be honored um, at Citizens Bank Park, August 3rd through 5th. Um, so right now, it's it's. Let's just set the stage. It's uh, July 26th, Thursday, 11 a.m. Um, so anything that happens after this will not be covered by this podcast. Right. Like uh, your Star Trek log. Yes, that is. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Phillies are fifty-seven and forty-four. Uh, they are a game and a half ahead of the Braves, and they are this. This is. Uh, I mean, every time I look at this, I I have to look a few few more times. Seven games ahead of the Washington Nationals, um, and it's looking right now that it, it, you're going to have to win the division, um, you know, to get that to get in the playoffs. Uh, I know they're right in the. I mean, fifty-seven wins for the Phillies, fifty-four for the Braves. But you got the Brewers who are just playing lights out. Um, no one's gonna. I mean, the Cubs, the Phillies are not on the Cubs level, um, and the the Brewers are two and a half games behind the Cubs at fifty-eight wins. And then you have the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks at fifty-six wins. Um, so yeah, you know, the Braves are in the thick of the wild card. But I think that everyone's looking at this as you got to win the division right now. Um, or am I wrong about that? Anybody? Uh, I mean, it definitely, it's probably the easier route. But I mean, they would be right now. They would be the wild card leader as well. So, uh, yeah, well, they, look, I mean, I, they would. You but know, the the Braves, the Braves won. I mean, I I just think that I think that right now the Brewers um, and the Diamondbacks are. Yeah, I, I mean, you could be in the wild card, but I think that you know the division is where, is where where you're obviously. Yeah, um, take care of your own business and and you'll win the East. But I mean, if not, I I think it's not like a wild card years past where it was you know automatically going to go to the central or the west i think it's it's kind of it, it, those two spots could come from any three yeah and i guess right. the, i think the I, I think the brewers and diamondbacks are probably a three-game losing streak away from um you know where the braves or phillies are a three-game winning streak away from kind of making it a, a more than way more than a two-horse race for the wild card so yeah i mean look that series that's coming up in a couple of weeks in arizona is shaping up to all of a sudden be a pretty big series for wild card implications, just in case. So, you know, I, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you that those are probably the, the Brewers and Diamondbacks are probably the teams I would bet on if you had to bet on a wild card. But no, I think the I think the second place team in the East, you know, is probably not as far off as 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 it might seem. Well, you were both very diplomatic in telling me that I was dead wrong. Um, you are. <laughs> I think I think uh, to your guys' point and and counter to my my point. Um, you know these two divisions, the, the Central and the West are are just head and shoulders above the East right now. You've got uh, four of five teams in both those divisions are are at or above five hundred right now. So um, I guess that if you were to factor that into the equation, I guess that would work in the Phillies' favor since since they will be beating up on each other down the stretch, presumably. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, as good as Arizona and Milwaukee might look or might be. They, they don't get to play the Marlins and Mets down the stretch the way the Braves and Phillies will. So, you know, that, that what you're saying, I, I agree with, 
but it you know in terms of how good the west and central are versus the east but yeah that might work in the favor of that second place team in the east given that they're going to play kind of a a lesser schedule in september i think what you do is act like the marlins and the mets for the red sox and the yankees this year so yeah that's that's like that's, it, it, you know watch that blow up in their face <laughs> um yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think I think what you're detecting out of me is just a, a subconscious refusal to to believe, as Reese Hoskins said. <laughs> I keep looking for ways. I keep looking for a path uh, path out of this this race, and I just don't see it. But um, we still got a lot of a lot of apples to shake loose here at the trade deadline, and I that's that's kind of one why I wanted to get you guys on the phone, um, and just kind of after whiffing on Machado. Although I don't know if you, it's fair to to say that they whiffed uh it's it's hard to really see how they're going to make an impact addition at the trade deadline i know there was some scuttlebutt that they were scouting chris archer it seems like they've been i'm sure they've been scouting chris archer for the last three years um the uh the starter for the the, the rays obviously but scott you had a report uh recently that they were uh kicking the tires on adam jones um, there's there's been yep. some other reports that have linked them to some i think curtis granderson's name i mean curtis granderson his name popped up uh you know, at one point, is that where they're at right now? Are they just looking to make some, some, you know, supplemental complementary moves at this point, maybe a, a relief arm and a bench bat. Is that all we can really hope for? Yeah. I mean, my read on it, uh, and Matt, I, I don't know if you feel the same way. My read on it is some point, probably after they got through that June schedule, they kind of looked up, they saw where they were. They also looked at the rest of the national league, which is pretty flat and, and, and winnable. Um, you know, you don't have your three or four super teams like you do in the American League, where, you know, if you're the, you know, if you're a fringe playoff contender, well, there is no such thing as really as a fringe playoff contender in the American League. You're either, you're either one of those great teams or you're not. Uh, in the National League, it's not like that. Um, you know, not only is the division winnable, but so is the pennant. So, you know, I think they looked up. Machado was out there, and they felt like, okay, let's let's accelerate the timetable. Let's not wait around until the off season and just sign them the way everybody thinks they will um let's make a trade let's get them now and i think they i think they made a pretty a pretty aggressive run at it obviously not as aggressive as the dodgers did um at least you know in the eye of the beholder which was the orioles i mean the orioles got what they felt was a better package from from the dodgers time will tell us if it was and you know, now you look and you say, okay, well, what's plan B or plan C or D? And there just isn't that impact bat behind Machado um, that's going to be available um, before the 31st. So you start to get into names like, you know, Eduardo Escobar and Mike Moustakis, uh, mm. Adam Jones. You know, I think, you know, you, you look at the infield market, it's not real good. Um, there is a need in right field as well. And so maybe you can, you know, Maybe you can take a shot at a guy like Adam Jones, hope that he has something left uh, for the next few months, and and hope that he's an upgrade. I think that's really where they're at, is trying to find creative ways to improve the roster in a trade market that's really not all that good. Um, all right. Yeah, I agree. I think you laid it out well. And just the, the reason, I mean, the bench right now, if they – if they go into August and September with this bench, I mean, that, that's a crime. So I, I would be shocked if they don't upgrade the bench. And like you said in your article today, a good way to do that is to get an Adam Jones and they have uh, Nick Williams come off the bench. So I would just, you're not going to get Manny Machado, but they're, they're going to get something to figure out. So, you know, you need, you need a better option on the bench than what they have now. All right, well, there's three, there's three things that came up in Scott. In, in, whoa, what was that? Uh, is that coming on your guys' end, or is that my? Yeah, we, is I'm my, still here. Is my technology yeah. about? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, I just heard a beeping sound. Maybe it. Maybe I'm going crazy. Um, so th- there's three things I think that that are pertinent uh, discussion topics. Uh, number one, the one guy you did not mention um, infield wise is a guy I, I believe that Matt Breen will be seeing this series. Um, is Scooter Jeanette's name still popping up um, on the radar across the majors? The Reds are probably open for business for almost everybody. So, I mean, it, that that's going to be expensive to get a guy like that, especially mm-hmm. the season to have him. But he's he's definitely available. I'm sure they're they're you know taking offers on him. Yeah. But I, I don't know if that's really what like the Phillies are trying to do. They they don't want to give up much. 
but they want to get like you know, a, like an Adam Jones is going to cost you a lot less than, than that. Um. So, so well, I guess that's a good question then. Um, I mean, Scooter Jeanette's a second baseman. He, you know, three, three eighteen, three sixty, three eighteen, three sixty-seven, five oh seven slugging percentage. Um, but is there? There's nobody really. I mean, Cesar can't play short, can he? Most likely not. Okay. No. All right, then. Then that would. Uh, and, and I guess. Well, and. I'm just going. What you're saying is what you're saying about shortstop really is is part of the equation here too. You know, after Machado got traded, I asked somebody because Eduardo Escobar's name had come up in relation to the Phillies, and I asked a scout I know who's seen the Twins this year about Escobar, and he said. You know, I think at this point in his career, I think he's 30 years old. He's been around now for a little while. He said, I think at this point in his career, he's the third baseman, or at least he's not a shortstop anymore. Right. Um, you know, and, and really, if you think about the shortstops who may or may not be out there and available, or at least I should say shortstops on non-contending teams, a lot of them are glove guys, you know, Freddie Galvis types. And, and that's not what the, you know, that's not really what the Phillies need as much as they're you know, we've talked about their defense on the infield and how it hasn't been real good. You know, I think that their that their priority is getting a bat on the on the left side of the infield and and not so much shoring up the defense per se. And there just isn't that. You know, after Machado, there just isn't that that impact bat who can play shortstop. So no, your bats are more concentrated in in the third base market. And you know, even then, you know. Um, you know, I think that they're asking themselves the question, you know, Mike Moustakis, Eduardo Escobar, I mean, are these guys real upgrades at this point over Michael Franco, especially the way he's played the last month? Yeah, I, I, I spent some time looking at, at the shortstop picture, and I just I, I was having a lot of difficulty identifying anybody who would be, you know, a, a target. The one guy, um, I mean, the only guy I even really, besides Escobar, uh, I, I could come up with was, was maybe Starlin Castro. And it's been a while, right, since he's played shortstop. You know. Yeah, I mean that's um, literally so, that's that's the only that's the only you know unless you were going for a glove guy, um, and they don't they don't need a glove guy. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's and this kind of like <clears throat> this kind of goes in the next next topic with with regard to Machado. Um, you know, I know I saw what Andrew Friedman said and that this was not a move made for the future. This was a move for made for 2018. Um, but am I, I mean, am I the only one who, who has a really hard time seeing Machado leave in Southern California or the Dodgers letting him leave anyway? It's, uh, I think it, 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 that was like either there or the Yankees was, you know, worst case scenario. You wanted, uh, Machado to go to the Diamondbacks or the Brewers or, you know, some small market town. I just, if this team makes a run in the playoffs with him, I, I would be, you know, shocked that they just let him walk. And, and the comment from him got a lot of traction about it being for this year. But, like, what's he supposed to say? I mean, it's just like it was, an you know, an empty, to me, an empty GM comment about obviously it was a move for this year. The guy's contract's up to the end of the season. But it doesn't mean they're not going to – I would assume that doesn't mean they're not going to try and sign him long yeah, term. You know, it's it just – and then that, that – if you look at the uh, – and then if you look at the free agent market, because that's the other piece that has to factor into what you do at the trade deadline here is what do you think you're going to be able to do in free agency? And, uh, you know, at this point, it's getting really hard to see how they're going to, uh, you know, find a shortstop that's not J.P. Crawford or Scott Kingery. Um, you know, I just don't see many options out there. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the avenues for improving this this offense i don't know it looks a little slim what am i missing somebody i mean are they you know is it time to think about bryce harper like are, you know who is this big free agent that they're going to be able to spend money on assuming um the dodgers who have plenty of payroll flexibility you know two and three years out who have a you know a need um not a need i guess you could say Dodgers don't have a need for anything but they definitely have a place they can put machado as just about anybody does um you know what what are the phillies looking at with regards to to where they're going to spend their money this offseason Oh, I don't think it's crazy to, to to start to think about Bryce Harper. I mean, we've been focused so much on Machado, probably because positionally it seems like a fit, and and the connections that he has to several of the Phillies executives who used to work for the Orioles. 
Um, but no, I, I mean, I don't think it's crazy at all to, to wonder whether they could be in on Harper. I think there's no doubt they'll be in on Harper. If you're going to spend that kind of money on a free agent, and then there are two free agents that are going to make that kind of money, you know, I think you're going to probably kick the tires on both. I just, I think with me for Machado, I didn't really, I didn't really feel like the trade to the Dodgers was sort of setting up a, you know, a uh, scenario whereby the Dodgers all of a sudden become the favorite to get him in the offseason. I look at the Dodgers and I see, you know, they're going to get Corey Seager back, and he's a shortstop. And Manny wants to play shortstop, and he's not going to do that long-term for the Dodgers. So if he, if he was going to stay there, he would stay there to play probably third base, where they also have Justin Turner. So um, I just I don't know that – I think – I. See, I guess I view Machado as more of a short-term fix to a problem the Dodgers have, and then long-term, more of a luxury item for them. Not that they can't, you know, afford plenty of luxury items, but you know, they're going to have Clayton Kershaw, who probably opts out of his contract at the end of the season, and they're going to want to retain him. Uh, and you know, I just feel like they're going to need to throw their money in other areas rather than Manny Machado to do what exactly we're not sure. So. You know, I think the Phillies can offer him a chance to play shortstop. They can offer him as much money as he wants. Uh, uh, they could essentially hand him a blank check and let him write the number in. And and I, I kind of feel like still that that's the approach they're going to take with Machado in the offseason. I think they want him that badly that and they can afford him uh, that they're just going to, you know, if he doesn't wind up here, it's because he just has some – absolute aversion to wanting to play here. I don't think it's going to be for any lack of trying or resources. I think they're going to have all of that for them. Well, I'm going to push back a little bit on you. Um, I mean, we got Seager's, Seager's, you know, coming back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Justin Turner's only really signed for the next, not only really, he only is signed through the next two seasons, and he's 33 at that. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I just, this is this is pure, you know, you know, pure, speculation uh, I don't have any inside information but it's just hard for me to see the Dodgers giving up what they gave up um, you know for two seasons uh, I mean for two two months of Machado as big of a need as it was for them um, you know I mean you don't just let a guy like Manny Machado I, I, I feel like a team like the Dodgers does not let a guy like Manny Machado you know leave for a better offer uh, now of course I say that and they did that with you Darvish um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it seems like there's, there's, I mean, Justin Turner's 33. He's not a long-term solution there. Um, you know, Corey, if Manny Machado can play third, can't Corey Seager play third? Um, I don't know. Matt, what, I mean, what do you think, Matt? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting. And, but like back to your Harper point, there's no doubt that, you know, it's, it's either or. I, I think if you don't get Harper, don't get Machado and you end up with Harper, that's fine. But, I just I think like the bad taste of what happened with the Seventy Sixers this summer is like everyone is like you you count on these free agents before it happens and, and I think that like you know you let you set yourself up for for that to to for these guys to not pick Philly or not come here and I think that's kind of what happened with Machado that everyone's just like automatically assuming he's going to sign with the Phillies in the off season or they're going to get Bryce Harper and I I could see. Uh, you know, a realistic shot of them striking out with both. And, and then that's the real thing. It's like, now what happens? Like, you know, if, if the Phillies don't get Machado, don't get Harper, what's next? What do they do? And, and I think they find themselves in the same spot where the Sixers had to, you know, figure out, you know, we whipped on the big off season and now what? But but I, I just, like, what Scott said about the money is, is definitely true. I mean, they're going to, they have all the money in the world and they're going to offer it to both of these guys and hope that, you know, their money plus the fact that they're, they proved this season. Like I remember we were talking before the season, I said that one of the most important things was they have to prove that they, you can win here too. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. you're going to make money, but you're also going to make money at, you know, 15 other ballparks too, but you can also win. You're going to get to the playoffs, play in a packed crowd. And then I couldn't help but think, but with the Mike Trout stuff at the all-star game about the marketability and, um, you know, not having your name out there, maybe that scares a guy away from going to L.A. for as crazy as we think. But, you know, maybe that pushes more guys towards the East Coast and, and to stay in, in, a, in a big bigger market on the East Coast instead of playing at 10, 11 o'clock at night. So that could help the Phillies' chances as well. It's going to be interesting, and I'm, they're going to be 
in the mix. And if I had to make a bet, I would say they get Machado, but I'm also not, you know, banking on it. Like it's not, it's not it's definitely not a guarantee. I am. I'm. I. I will be surprised now if they get Machado. So here's here's the thing. I I think that the the Dodgers payroll situation is is a little. I, I, no doubt. No doubt the Phillies have one of the, one of the best payroll situations um, in the game heading into this free agent class. But but I mean the Dodgers right now. And again, this is with thirty five million dollars of Clayton Kershaw on the books next year. So even if he opts out, you know it's going to be for more years. I don't know how how much higher that dollar figure is going to be. Um, you know they they only have 131 million dollars in guaranteed contracts next year. The luxury tax is what is the uh, what's the luxury tax threshold right now? Right around 200 million, 196 I think maybe. Yeah, yeah, and, um, and it escalates. So it, like you can, you know, it just it's without getting too down and down and dirty with it. I think it's just basically like the higher you go, the higher your penalty. So the Red Sox, for example, are going to end up with the highest penalty possible this year, they're going to be in like the 250, 260 range, which is absurd. Um, it was a calculation they made because they think they can win it all this year. I would be surprised if they're that high next year. So, I mean, you can sort of vary it from one year to the next, but yeah, I think the penalties kick in at like 198. All right. Like so right, that. so right now the, the Dodgers are sitting at one. This is not, this is uh you know, with no Machado contract with $35 million to Kershaw, 21 million to Kemp. 19 million to Kenley Jansen, 19 million to, to Justin Turner, 19 million to to Rich Hill. Um, they're at like 131, and that's you know they're going to have some healthy. They're going to have a healthy arbitration salary for Corey Seager, presumably, assuming that the injury does not hurt um, his value too much, and they'll have a healthy uh, arbitration salary for for Jock Peterson. But I can't imagine those two guys combined are going to be making more than you know 10, 15 million dollars. Um, Jock Peterson was at 2.6 this year in his first year of arbitration, um, and Seager. I mean, rarely do you get do you get a salary you know above five million um, as a super two or as a uh, as a first year arb guy. Um, you know, I just so even let's say even if those guys get 10 million each, um, you know, the Dodgers have will have 50 million dollars and you know to play around with um, before they're even thinking about the luxury tax. I, I just think money money is not an object for them. Um, and then their books really clear up, um, you know, at 220 and beyond. Uh, when that Kemp contract comes off the books, Rich Hill's up. Justin Turner signed through 2020. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, you know, Machado's just one of these guys. Andrew uh, Andrew Friedman, I think, understands how rare a talent this guy is. And I, I, I suspect the reason why they – or I wonder if one of the reasons why they were willing to pay such a price for him um, was – you know, I used the analogy at one point in one of my columns of anteing in a poker game where maybe, like, you know, the Dodgers, Phillies, and Yankees all know that they're going to be vying for this guy, and maybe, you know, whoever gets him at the trade deadline is the one that, that you know, is able to convince him to stay. It's just hard. I mean, you're going to have LeBron recruiting him. You're going to have – I mean, it's Hollywood. It's We've all been to Southern California. I mean, I love Philly, but to – the, To the extent that LeBron cares, you know, I mean, like – whether or not Manny Machado is a Dodger, it's not going to stop LeBron from going to Dodger games if he wants to. Like you know, I, I you know, I guess my my point is that if he wants to go to games, it's going to be independent of whether there's a, another star player there, and it's not like they lack for stars. No, it's just you that L A. I mean, Le- like just playing in L A. offers so many fringe benefits that that is just are just not available, you know, to to people in this city of Philadelphia. I mean, you're talking about. I mean, if Manny Machado can be one of the top three or four marketable stars in L.A., I mean, you're talking about sitting front row next to Jack Nicholson at the, on the LeBron Lakers, hanging out with movie stars, you know, all the models in the world. Uh, I love Philly. I love Philly. But but Frankfurt and Cotman, you know, it's a, it's a long way from Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, of course. No offense, Matt. Don't be talking trash on the Northeast here. Um, <laughs> so then – Anyway, so so then the second thing, um, and he, and he plays into this too. You mentioned right field and need in right field. Um, what do we think about that? Because uh, Nick Williams, uh, since May thirteenth, is hitting two sixty two with a three thirty eight on base percentage, four eighty seven slugging percentage for an eight twenty five OPS and eleven home runs. Um, that's 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 thirty homers over the course of one hundred sixty two games. Um, I, I'll be. I've come around on Nick Williams. I'm I'm a Nick Williams believer right now. Um, I don't know that he's a. I, I, I know that he's not a superstar, but I mean, I think if he's your, I think if he's your right fielder and your, you know, six hole hitter, you're doing, you're, you're, you're going to be all right. Um, 
so I guess that's my question about this. These are they just looking for a guy who can platoon with him? Um, you know, or, or are they really you know wondering if they need to upgrade there? I think, like Scott had mentioned today about Adam Jones, is that if you Nick Williams was is is playing very well in a starting role, but also was great on the bench. And in the short term, if he's you know on the bench, I don't think that's an awful scenario. You know, to have to have him coming off the bench as a pinch hitter or you know playing every other day. But long term, I think he's shown this year that if you do strike out in free agency, or if you just get Manny Machado this winter and you know you don't get Bryce Harper so you, you need Nick Williams in right field I, I think that that you can comfortably go in the next season with Nick Williams starting in right field and which I don't know if that was what you would have thought uh, at the beginning of the season the only flaw I see in Nick Williams is his defense which I think in the corners right now they're you know their corner defense corner outfield defense is really um you know something that needs to be worked on yeah look I don't think it's the end of the world uh, certainly, if you go into next season with Nick Williams as your everyday right fielder, I, I agree with you, Murph. I think he's a pretty, I think he's a nice player, um, and there's still upside there for him to potentially become a better player than he even is right now. But you know, it's just a matter of looking at the lineup, I think, as a whole rather than in pieces. And if you're, you know, if you if you kind of make the determination once the off season gets going that you're you're not going to get Machado, right? That he's not going to be your shortstop, which means your shortstop's going to be a lesser offensive player. Then, then right field looks like an area where you can, you can go get the other big fish and, and probably upgrade your production from what you have now too. So, you know, I, I, if we're talking about short term, uh, to me, a guy like Adam Jones makes sense because for a few reasons, I mean, he's a veteran player. He's been in the postseason before. He's a good clubhouse guy. He's a guy who could help you for two months He's kind of like your ideal rental, uh, and it moves Nick Williams to the bench where you where you've been weak. Long term, you know, for me going forward, I don't mind if Nick Williams is the guy out there as long as you get Machado. If you don't get Machado, then right field shapes up as an area where you can really make a splash, and that's where Bryce Harper comes into play. So, you know, I kind of think you know you sort of look at right field. Um, in a more isolated sense for the last two months of the season and then uh, kind of step back again and look at it as part of the whole if you're talking about long-term. So so what am I missing on Adam Jones? Um, like, Why would he be – why is he a better option as the starter than, than Nick Williams? Um, I mean, he's hitting – he's got a 727 OPS this year. His last 38 games, uh, he's hitting 261, 302, 346 for a 649 OPS. Um you know he's a right-handed bat, but it, he's he's historically, I believe, he has he has kind of flip flip the, you know, switch switch splits or or reverse splits. Um, I mean, it's not like he pounds lefties, and he certainly has been pounding lefties this year. So, what what why are we? He has not hit a home run since um, uh, June second, by the way. Um, why why yeah, are he's we, having a bad year? Yeah, you know, he's having a bad year, and pro- probably his worst year in ten years. I think if you look at the OPS, I don't think the OPS has been lower than what it is now in ten years. So at thirty-three, he's clearly past. I think he's thirty. He'll be thirty-three next week. He's clearly past his peak. Okay, so you know, you know, there's, you know, I, I don't think you are acquiring him and going. All right, we got the, you know, we got this great impact bat who's going to be a true difference maker and put us over the top. It's not that kind of addition. But, you know, Machado's on the Dodgers now, so I don't, I don't think there is that kind of addition mm. to be made out there, at least not, not offensively. Uh, you're doing it to make yourself deeper more than anything else. You're doing it to get, with all due respect to, you know, Mitch Walding and Dylan Cousins, <laughs> and you're, get, you're doing this to make sure that they don't come anywhere near the big league bench for the rest of the season. You know, you're, you're doing this to kind of make yourself um, – just, just, a, just generally speaking, a deeper team, um, you know. And, and I don't even know, honestly, I don't even know that you know Adam Jones is the kind of guy you trade for and put in the lineup every day and say he's my new everyday right fielder. I mean, Nick Williams still might wind up playing more often in right field. In that case, Adam Jones is on your bench, and he's still a better bench option than what you have now. So, you know, I just think it's it's more to trade for a complementary piece at this point in his career who can help you. Uh, intangibly, I think he helps you probably more than he does 
production-wise. I think it doesn't hurt to have another guy in that clubhouse who's been in the postseason, in a pennant race, you know, kind of got that AL East sort of sort of pedigree, mm-hmm. and, and he's used to playing the Red Sox and the Yankees. And you add him now to Carlos Santana and Jake Arrieta, and you've got another veteran guy to kind of lead the way. And, and I, I sort of think that's why you do it. You don't do it because you think he's going to be a, a difference maker. The uh, so the other guy who who plays into this um, is is Mr. Kingery. Uh, what, what is the organizational outlook sentiment um, on Scott Kingery? Because it, I mean, it seems like every other day we're hearing about how he's he's you know turning a corner and and you know squaring balls up and feeling hitterish and but I mean the guy's got you know he just looks he looks surprisingly lost at the plate to me. Um, compared to the guy that we saw in spring training and the guy that we heard about in the minor leagues. What, what, what is going on there, and, and has the outlook changed at all for him um, as, a, as a future cog of this lineup? I think he's definitely been overmatched this year, and there's no doubt about that. And, you know, you take small things like yesterday when he hit the home run and, and hope that that can, like you said, turn a corner and that, that becomes something. But it's also – they're so loyal to Scott Kingery, and I think because they have so much invested in him that, you know, it, 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 he wasn't just a prospect that got promoted. He was a prospect that got signed to a big-time contract before he played a game. So, you know, there was a lot of, like, personal investment in him, and, pers- like, you know, it, it, it's gonna, it would look bad on a lot of people if they sent Scott Kingery to AAA, which I don't think they should do anyway. I think... I have I have a confidence in Scott Kingery too. I think you, you know you ride with him, and you hope that he, you know, turns it around this year. If not, I, I still have seen enough from Scott Kingery in you know Double A, Triple A, and spring training the last two years, and in parts of the season to think that he's going to be, you know, a pretty solid major league player. I, I think he's shown glimpses of that this season, and his defense has gotten a lot better. Um, his arm, just at short, looks like. It, it, you, at second base, everyone thought he had a weak arm, so he couldn't play on the left side. And now he's at short, and you're really able to see how strong his arm actually is. Uh, he's getting the balls a lot more than he was even a month ago. So I think, like as much of a need, you know, the left side of the infield might seem like it is. In the last month, my, Franco has you know turned the corner, and I think you you ride with Franco the rest of the season. And why not with Scott, Scott uh, Kingery as well? I think you just you ride with them, you bat them at the bottom of the order, and, and you address the bench. And like, as the more we talk out Adam Jones as being as putting Nick Williams at the bench, I, I think I was thinking the same thing you guys were talking about that you just put him on the bench, and now now you don't have you know these guys that the Phillies are they have a three man bench right now, and and it's just then you might as well have a no man bench because. I would rather have like Jake Arrieta coming off as a pinch hitter than, than you know the guys are calling on. Yeah, one thing about yeah, I, you know, I look at so- I look at Kingery's for the rest of the year, sort of a, sort of similar to the way we're talking about right field. You know, I think if you know if you can, and, and and the problem with this is that there isn't, as we said earlier, there really isn't a shortstop solution out there now that Machado is off the board. You know, uh, unless you trust that Eduardo Escobar can still play short. Um, which, as I said, I've talked to people who say they don't think that's the case. But if you think he can do it, then you go and you get maybe you go and you get that guy, and now Kingery becomes a, you know a kind of a goes back to doing what he did earlier in the season, which is plays a little bit of everywhere, comes off the bench, and it strengthens your bench. Um, but there's you know there's also I think a long term view with Kingery, right? I mean they didn't sign him to the contract that they that they did without viewing him as a long term piece or a part of their core, and you know I get. I'm sure you do too, Matt. Like, I get a ton of questions, you know, on email and for extra innings. Let's plug the extra innings newsletter uh, <laughs> while we have a chance to do that. Sign you up know, at philly.com backslash extra innings. There you go. Uh, you know, should they have should they have uh, sent Kingery back to the minors? Did they rush him? Is the contract the reason why they didn't? And, you know, I, I, I wrote the other day, you know, I kind of go back to, you know, the, when I was covering the Red Sox in 2014, you know, Xander Bogarts had, maybe the worst second half of any hitter in the American League. And they really refused to send him back to AAA, even though he probably deserved to go back to AAA based on how he was playing. And the following year, he was a silver slugger, and the year after that, he was an all-star. And 
and the the only difference is that in 2014 the Red Sox were on their way to finishing in last place, and they really, you know, didn't. It didn't matter that, you know, the guy who was playing shortstop for them was the worst hitter in the league for the second half of the year. They were going to finish last anyway. What makes it a little harder to watch Kingery every day is that he's been one of the worst hitters in the league the last three months for a first place team or a team that has this these designs on making playoffs. And, you know, I, I'm not advocating that they send him to the minors. If they were going to do that, they would have done it already. But, you know, I, I do think that, you know, if you can, if you can add a hitter uh, who can maybe take a little bit of the everyday burden off of Scott Kingery and, and in so doing have Kingery help your bench at the same time, so, so much the better. And you worry about, you know, the long-term plan later. I'm not really sure what the long-term plan is for Kingery. I don't, I don't know that they are either. I, I you know, uh, they could sign Machado in the off season, and all of a sudden, Kingery is not your shortstop in the future. He's going to have to be your second baseman in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I don't, I don't know if they could sit here today and say that they know exactly what the long term plan is for Kingery, other than the fact that he's most likely in it. Well, I think the interesting, you know, kind of interesting hypothetical to think about is what would have happened had they acquired Machado this season, uh, because I think probably if you had asked them early June um, when they first you know started getting serious about the pursuit you know the plan would have been um, you know either either ship out Michael Franco in the trade itself um, you know or you know bid him adieu and then move Kingry to third base Um, but given the way you know Franco has been swinging the bat pretty much ever since then um, and you know Cesar Hernandez obviously you're not going to take a 370 on base percentage out of the lineup I, I I would have been interested to see, um, you know, wh- wh- what they would have done with Kingery because, uh, you know, you guys are around the team way more than I I am. You you watch way more of the games than I do, but um, it's it's just been really dis- it's been discouraging to to see him. Um, it, it just seems like every at bat there's a a a pitch out of the zone early in the count that he swings at that he has no chance at even reaching, um, and, and he just yeah. cons- consistently puts himself in these holes. Um, I, I think part of it, uh, I mean, he doesn't help himself with kind of <laughs> with that expression, that Sam Bradford esque expression he gets as he walks back to the dugout. Um, but you know, he looks like a guy to me. Uh, you know that that and and keep in mind, you know, he did not have a lot of time in the minors, and, and frankly, he didn't have a ton of success in the minors. Um, I mean, he had he had success, but it wasn't. It, it's not like this guy was was raking. Um, you know, he had that one stretch, um, but, but this was not like Michael Franco where every level he just battered the ball. Um, I took him some time to find his footing at, at each level that he got to. Um, I don't know. I like right now it, it, well, he raked in double A and triple A, didn't he? He, his first year in triple A, let me see, let me go back and look. Cause I, I don't want to throw some, some, uh, I won't put Scotty. We have some like music that goes over like, like Murph, like. Uh, going on the internet to research something music while he does it. I, I like uh, I, my my favorite thing about Matt Breen is is his don't put Scotty in a corner voice when when somebody when somebody tweaks Scott Kingery a little bit. I'll die on that hill. Uh, so Scott Kingery Scott Kingery entered the the system in 2015. Um, he hit in his first year after let's see he hit he hit a 770 OPS at Clearwater. Um, in 2016, then was promoted to Reading and and had 200 plate appearances at Reading and had a 606 OPS. So I, I would not consider that rank, raking. Yeah, but um, this was this. It, that doesn't matter. That was he was 22. I'm not defending him, but this is like going back to Scott Carey in the minors. He was exhausted at the end of his first <laughs> season. He was like, if you look at Scott Carey now and like how built he is and how he was then, he was like. It was like a skeleton. I feel and then, like, and then you look at what he did in seventeen. That's when he really was on the map. Yeah, he, rake, he you know he hit all the home runs at Reading, and then had a good second half in Triple A. Yeah, but I mean, you say good second. My only point was, aside from that stretch at Reading in which he, you know, nine eighty seven OPS, eighteen home runs in three hundred seventeen plate appearances. He finished that year at AAA Lehigh Valley and and had a seven eighty six OPS with eight home runs in three hundred plate appearances. Um, so all I'm saying is that aside from that that stretch in Reading, um, where where legends like Matthew Rosati and Darren Ruff have have crushed the ball, um, it, it, I don't know. I'm I'm just saying it's not like this guy was languishing in the minors and 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 you know had seasoned himself to to you know beyond you know any further seasoning. I feel like uh, that that's one of the things that surprised me about 
uh, kind of the urgency to get him on the opening day roster this year was that, you know, again, like he, he I remember looking at his uh, strikeout the walk numbers last year at Lehigh Valley. I mean, 58 to 13. I mean, this was a guy who never, even when he was raking, he never walked. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know. Like maybe it's a guy who, who really could use some more time to kind of work on his approach um, outside of. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's crazy to say. And honestly, to answer your question, I think, and obviously now it's a hypothetical, but had they traded for Machado, I think the plan initially would have been to pull Kingery out of the lineup every day and and move him back to the role that he was in early in the season where he plays, you know, four days a week at four different positions. And then if that wasn't working out and he still wasn't getting enough at-bats to kind of, because he's a guy that you want to have, you don't want him to, like, sit there and just and just waste away on the bench. Mm. If it had gotten to that point where he wasn't playing enough, then you send him to AAA. And you say, all right, get your at-bats. We'll call you back up in September. You've been a big part of this team so far, and there you go. I mean, I think, I think that was probably the way they were looking at it, was, hey, if we can, we can get Machado, you know, we'll, we'll either find at-bats for Kingery in the big leagues, or we won't, and we'll send him to AAA. But I, I think that was like a like a secondary consideration. And I'm not, I'm not giving up on Scott Kingery by any stretch of the imagination. He just looks like a guy to me, again, from afar on television, um, looks like a guy to me that's just not getting better. You know, like that's not – I'm not sure that this is a productive thing for him. Um, although he's well, getting, he is getting better on defense. And, and he – I mean, that, I yeah, think that's, that's what he's done for himself more than anything this year is he's shown that he doesn't necessarily have to, you know, have middle of the order, you know, top of the order offensive production to be a legitimate – first division um you know infielder i mean he's 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 been he gets better every day that he's out there but at the plate it just seems like every at bat is a repeat um i don't know i don't know i mean it's not like they have much and, they, and, uh, go ahead no it's uh, just not they don't have many options i mean uh, jp crawford it, it's kind of one of the ironies of this year where <laughs> if, you, if you look at the, the standings and then you look at the fact that jp crawford and scott kingery are like have been two of the least productive hitters in, in, in the majors, albeit in a small sample size for Crawford. It's, it's kind of interesting how, um, I mean, I don't know if it's encouraging or, or discouraging, uh, you know, with regard to the future, maybe it's discouraging, but with regards to the here and now, I mean, this team has so much room to improve. Yeah. You know, and I think we could probably fill up an entire podcast with, with a uh, conversation about Kingery's future and have they done him a, a, a service or a disservice this year by kind of, you know, he, his his role to me has not been entirely clear, even in in playing every day at shortstop. Um, because all we talk about is the guy they don't have at shortstop, who they want to have at shortstop, mm-hmm. uh, who's currently in L.A. And what does that do to Kingery when they do if if and when they do sign Manny Machado? You know, I I, I think you know I wrote about this the other day too. The Dodgers were just in town, and you look at all the players on the Dodgers who play multiple positions: Max Muncy and DK Hernandez and mm. Chris Taylor, and how the Dodgers value their versatility and their guys who can play at multiple positions. Well, where did Gabe Kapler come from? He came from LA. This was he was part of that philosophy in LA. And who knows? Maybe long term they look at Kingery as an everyday player who can play six different positions, kind of like Chris Taylor does with the Dodgers, kind of like. Um, Max Muncy does. I mean, Chris Taylor plays shortstop and center field. Cody Bellinger plays center field and first base. Mm. I mean, we're talking about versatility uh, from players that you just don't typically see in other organizations. And maybe that's their vision for the future is just this this really extremely versatile everyday guy. Do the Dodgers, man? They they're it's it's uh it's daunting to think that they're they're the Phillies are going to have to face them for the next decade. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what they're doing out there, but I don't know what kind of computer programs they're running or, or what kind of scou- scouts they have. But my goodness, I mean, Max Muncy. Uh, I mean, anybody could have had Max Muncy. Um, you know what? You know, can, everything they do works out. Meta, uh, the the guy they, I mean, they they sign a guy internationally and then trade him for Manny Machado. Uh, it's like it's amazing it's amazing the catcher is also their backup second baseman i, I mean <laughs> like they just have guys who just do things that are like not not typical of of baseball players and and you know i mean you talk enough to gabe kapler you know he we had a conversation recently and he said to me um, i'm i'm paraphrasing here but this is not not completely off word for word of what he said he goes you know when i get a guy in the system i want i want the guy to know that you know, he's not a shortstop. He's not a second baseman. He's not a six-hole hitter. He's not a two-hole hitter. 
he's an athlete who I'm going to ask to do different things. And, and that's, that's what the Dodgers seem to have done with a lot of their players is sort of instill this idea that you're not one thing or another. You should do as much as you can at as many positions as you can, and, and we'll find a spot for you to play. And, and that's what they do with like four or five of their guys, you know, other than, you know, who in their lineup do you look at and you say, well, that guy is a that, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, Matt Kemp is an outfielder and he's not going to play anywhere else. We know that, but there aren't a whole lot of guys like that in their lineup on any given day. You know, if you just list off the nine names in their lineup on any given day, it's you're, you're kind of guessing at half of the guys at what position they're playing. And, and that's kind of feels like what, what the Phillies maybe want to do with Kingery long-term. Now the flip side, I'm going to throw Matt, I'm going to throw, Brini a bone here because this is another one of his boys. Um, the flip side is is, is, <laughs> is the uh, is the pitching. Um, you know, Zach Eflin's a guy who, who Breen Breen was a believer in in, in Zach Eflin for a long time, um, and I, he's still a guy that I can't quite figure out. Um, I mean, is he for real, or are they just doing a great job of managing him this year? Well, yeah, he had a great month, and now it's like. You know, can he sustain that month? And and then you know he goes to the table list and comes off and and had like an you know an okay start. It wasn't it wasn't what he did in um you know June or July, whatever. What month is this? July. So that was June when he had a ridiculous month. And I, I think he's had good stretches in the past. They were never as long as they were this season. So, so it's not you can't. I don't think you're you're penciling him in. You know, if you're in the NLDS to start game two or three quite yet, you, you want to see what happens. And I, I think you're going to learn. You're going to learn about a lot of these guys in the second half. And he's one of the guys that I don't think I'm right with you. I really don't know what, what he is either. Is He he looked like, you know, a top-of-the-line starter for a month. And he goes to the table list. He dealt with these finger issues all of the last season, which I don't think anybody knew about until he had this one this time. So that's kind of unnerving that, you know, this is going to pop up, pop back up again. And that's something to worry about. And that, that's what makes me think that in, along with, you know, Nick Pavetta and Vince Velasquez being somewhat inconsistent, that I want to be totally opposed if they went out and got a Cole Hamels. But right. it, what Matt Clintex said last week makes me think that, you know, they're, they don't want to be in the starting pitching market and that's a market you want to avoid is what he said. So it makes me think that they're not going to go down that avenue. But the fact that you have Noah... Arietta and then, you know, three guys that have shown they can pitch in the big leagues, but also have shown they can be inconsistent in the big leagues because they're so young, makes me unopposed to, you know, going out and getting a Cole Hamels if, if the price is right. Well, that's the question, and, and I think that's why when I when – I, you know, what's up has been down for this team a, a lot this year because still I think the reason why I find it hard to believe that they're as good as they are is that I find it really hard to believe that the pitching is as good as it is um, or as good as it has been. Uh, now, obviously, Nola and Arietta, you know, take them out of the conversation, but I, I think you, you just kind of hit on, you know, the question that nobody has really been asking publicly given, you know, the the fixation on, on – the defensive struggles and the the underperforming of the offense and and the pursuit of Machado, but you know how can you consider yourself a legit contender if you don't know who's starting Game Three for you and you don't really have a good option? Um, I mean, well, this is this is the push pull of this trade deadline, and and it's what makes this so interesting these next five days, and it's why we're talking about it because you know on one hand you're a first place team and you're in the playoffs as of today, and you're going to need a Game 3 starter. And wouldn't it look nice if your Game 3 starter is Cole Hamels or Jay Happ rather mm-hmm. than... Especially Jay Happ. Especially Jay Happ. Right. That's your boy. That's your Zach F1. Yeah, you know what? You know what, you know what, you know what Breen? I was proven right over the long haul. Thank you very much. <laughs> it took much. a while, though. Everyone it took could... a while. Though. Yeah, all right. Anyway. It took a while, and he had to get to Toronto. But but so so that's the that's like the... the that's the argument for, right, for saying let's go do it, let's be aggressive. But then the pull of that is, yeah, but, you know, everyone still knows that next year's the year, right? I mean, as, as, as nice and as, as pleasant a surprise as this year has been, you're going to be a better team next year than you are this year. So why would you take a potential future piece out of the rotation for two months of Jay Happ or Cole Hamels when – 
you know, for the future, it might help Vince Velasquez or Zach Eflin or Nick Pavetta to pitch big games down the stretch and be a regular part of your rotation. So this is, I am sure, what they're sitting around talking about uh, and what they will be talking about the next few days. Like, you know, how, are, are we all in? Are we not all in? How aggressive are we? And, and you know, to get a Hamels or a, or a hat, you're, you're talking about making essentially a rental trade. Is this like the reverse of the Zach Eflin trade? Like, are you going to be giving up you know, Zach Eflin in two years to get a guy who won't be here anymore. So, you know, there's kind of that, there's kind of this, this tug of war that I'm sure they're having within, within the organization. I guarantee that there are people in the front office who are saying, yeah, let's do it. And then there are people who are saying, pump the brakes a little bit. You know, maybe it's not so bad to ride with what we have. Uh, maybe we'll be better for it next year and going forward. Well, that's, and that, this is why I, I wonder whether we're, we're setting our sights too low, um, because I, I, I mean, I think the question that that you at least have to entertain if you're Matt Klentak and and company is, do we make a bold move for a top of the line starter right now? Um, you know, and I, you know, Chris Archer is obviously the name that comes up a lot, but uh, you know, and this, I might end up, I have, I have to write a column at some point after this, so maybe I'll end up writing about this because it's it's kind of intrigued me. I've kind of been kicking it around all day, but. Um, Do we get lines at the end like that we contributed to this absolute, column? Absolutely. <laughs> this, this, this was aided by a, a thought experiment by Scott Scott Lauber and Matt Breen. But now think about it. Um, you're, you can get an outfielder on the free agent market. And, and let's say you know Bryce Harper now is like your big target in the offseason. Well, you, you know, you're going to have to move somebody. Um, you know, you're going to have to have somebody, you know, giving you less utility than, than they're worth um, if you insert Bryce Harper into your outfield or, you know, Nick Williams say. Are you better off, you know, seeing if there's a team out there, a, a small market team with a, you know, with a controllable pitcher who's getting expensive with, you know, two years left of free agency or whatever, who, who might be open to, to, to doing a deal, um, you know, with a Nick Williams, with a, with a you know, Crawford or Kingery with one of the you know with one of those pitchers be it Sixto or or Adonis or um, you know whoever else is down there um, and making a huge move now with the thought that you know we can it's going to be easier to replace those guys free agent wise um, than it will be to necessarily get a pitcher um, that you know that's what I wonder I wonder if 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 that that might be a move that that is at all you know possible it will be bold. I, I think, you know, we hinted at it also in the newsletter that that would be a possibility. And and I think I must have, I must have missed that anything, addition. He's a pretty creative guy. And I think, um, you know, I think if they do make a trade for a pitcher, it could end up being one of those creative trades where you go after a long-term guy. And Chris Archer, is, they were um, rumored around with this, this spring training when Tampa Bay was unloading everybody and Chris Archer was yeah, it was like the, the last guy out the door, right? Yeah, and the Phillies were, were hot after him then, and there's a lot of reasons to like him. And if you, you know, like you said, if you can get your starting pitcher, you, you think you, you're going to sign that starting pitcher, but instead if you can trade, you know, for a young, controllable, non-rental pitcher that's going to help you this year, help you next year, and the year after, then I think, you know, that's a deal you have to do. But, like, the names you threw around of Sixto and Adonis Medina, I just – I would have a hard time trading them at this point, unless I just I, the Phillies have had such a trouble with uh, homegrown pitchers in the last few years. Like especially when Andy McPhail and Klintak came in, the pitching in the system was pretty awful. And a lot of these guys that are coming up obviously have been traded for; they're not homegrown, and it just seems like there's this crop of young arms coming up through the system right now that like two or three years from now, you know, we can look back and be like, wow, like, you know, the Phillies produced this, this rotation of really talented guys like Adonis Medina and Fixer Sanchez, um, Ranger Suarez, who pitches tonight. I, I just think it would be a mistake to, to really unload, you know, two, two or three of them for, for, for something like, you know, just to help you this year. I don't know. It depends on how deep they think they are. I mean, you, you know, Matt, you were in Miami a few weeks ago when Andy McPhail was with the team and he talked about, um, you know, doing kind of a, doing kind of an organizational inventory to sort of see where you're deepest and where you could maybe trade from position of strength. And 
you know, I don't think there's any question when they look at their organization, they feel like they're deep in starting pitching. Um, I'm not saying you, you, um, I'm not saying now you deplete that area, but you know, if it's, if you could trade one of those kids and, and bring in a guy who's controllable beyond this year, you know, it might be something where you say, well, look, you know, we traded Donis Medina. We still have six, six, no Sanchez, um, in our system. And, and, you know, I think that's kind of why you heard toward the end of the Machado thing, like, oh, well, the Phillies may be interested in giving up Medina. Well, it's because they still have Sanchez, you know, and, you know, I think that they kind of looked at it and they said, this is an area that we can deal from and still be deep. And and so I think depending on the return, Machado was enough of a return for them to begin to entertain Medina. I don't know if there's another player on the market, and that includes Chris Archer, who they're going to look at and say, well, for that player, we'll trade one of our stud young pitchers, knowing that we have two other studs behind that guy. You know, I, I, I'm just not sure that, that there's that guy out there before next Tuesday. Well, what if, let, let's just play a game and, and throw out the name Jacob DeGrom. That's a guy. Who I would yeah, that, that's, that's a name. Um, you know, I would, you know, even though, even though you say, well, do I really want to, if Adonis Medina is a stud, do I want to face that guy in my own division for Jacob DeGrom? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and there's no, I mean, I don't think there's been any indication that the, the Mets are seriously considering trading him, but, uh, you know, there was that headline, um, what was it, a week or so ago where, where, yeah, I think probably coming from DeGrom's agent that if, if the Mets weren't serious about signing him to an extension, they should look to trade him. And frankly, you know, from the Mets' perspective, I mean, for, I don't even know what the Mets' perspective is. I mean, they've just been Metsing ever since two thousand nine. Um, but they got—I mean, you know—they got to do something at some point. The Mets to try to try to reload. I mean, Degrom's not young. Um, I mean, he's going to hit the market at thirty-one or thirty-two, I think. So it's you know, at that point, it, it's hard to see that it, w- it would make sense for for the Mets to you know shell out five or six years for him. Um, you know, I want, I wonder, I, you know, I'm sure this is all stuff that, that, uh, you know, Ned Cohen and, and, and the guys are, are, you know, making their, doing their due diligence and, and kind of finding out the answers to some of these, but, um, I, you know, I, I just don't know who else is out there. I mean, what, it's an interesting time in the pitching, um, uh, in the pitching sphere. Um, there, there really haven't been a ton of young guys that, that have established themselves for, you know, your, your perennial losers. I mean, the perennial losers, I guess are now winners. You know, you have the Indians and Trevor Bauer, you know Houston trading for Garrett Cole. Um, I mean, who else is out there besides besides Archer and and possibly Degrom on on a on a substandard team? Are there any names? Dylan Bundy in right. Baltimore, I'm sure, would be available if you could get him. Um, you know, think about those teams, teams that play in divisions, uh, especially in the American League, that just have a super team. I mean, if you're the if you're the Rays, this is why Chris Archer's going to go somewhere because if you're the Rays. They're not going to be good in the American League East until long after Chris Archer uh, is gone as a free agent. So might as well trade him now. Um, and you know, there was all that talk about maybe the Cubs would wind up with him. That that feels about right. Um, you know, if uh, GM who's got an AL East pedigree who understands how hard it is to pitch in that division and might look at Chris Archer and say, you could take his numbers, which aren't bad uh, in a in a in a in any of his good years. And you could extrapolate them out of the AL East, and how much better would they be? So, you know, that feels kind of like a, you know, something that could happen. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to look at look at teams that sort of feel a little hopeless right now, and and those are the teams that might be more inclined to trade a young, controllable pitcher. Breen, we'll finish up with you. What what do you think? What do you think ends up happening? What should happen, and and, and what do you think ends up happening between now and the thirty first? I think. They get what they need. They what they need is what's they add a, a hitter if it's a you know a, a guy that can share right field or a guy that's on the bench and and you know play middle infield or or left side infield whatever they they need a hitter for the bench and then I, I would go get a bullpen arm somebody as good as the bullpen is I still think there's a room like there's like dead weight that you could you know if you added to that bullpen it's not you don't need a guy that's going to be the ninth inning, or you know, to be the be a top flight arm, you just need somebody to to mix in there and then elevates everybody else a little bit more. And I think that if because the starting pitching is going to take a step back, there's, there's, it just can't be this good all season. So you need to protect 
that step back with a really good bullpen and I think an offense that needs to turn the corner. So address those two areas. The starting pitching can take a step back and you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, I kind of agree with Matt. I think uh, on the first point especially, I think they're going to add a hitter. And, you know, if Adam Jones will wave his 10-5 rights, maybe he's he's the guy or maybe – you know, it's going to be a it's going to be a complimentary hitter who can either help you uh, in the sixth hole of your lineup or uh, off your bench. Um, and and then I think they'll do something creative with their pitching. I don't know exactly what. I think the absence of an impact hitter is going to lead them down the road of figuring let's make a good a good uh, pitching staff stronger by adding either a rental starter, um, you know, a veteran guy, a J Hap kind of guy. Um, or another bullpen piece. And another bullpen piece, quite frankly, is probably going to be cheaper to acquire. So maybe that's the direction that they go. Well, we got five days. Um, hopefully nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hurry up and get out of here and put this up before anything actually happens. Um, and, and <laughs> Yeah, right. This will all be old by like 2 o'clock. Um, but, yeah, we should uh, we should get together and do this again, assuming assuming the technology works out um, and, and kind of recap whatever ends up happening. It's going to be an interesting season. Um, Matt Breen and Scott Lauber, if you have not signed up for their daily newsletter, Bob Brookover is also, uh, you know, intimately involved in that. I would highly, intern. I, I, yeah, I would highly recommend <laughs> it. I think Bob's more like a, uh, what would you say? Like a creed? I don't, you guys are an office guy, so you can't really, you can't really play this game. Um, yeah. Matt, what do you, what do you, what, 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 what are all the kids creed, watching like these Rocky? days? No, like, they're, no. Is that like the, is that like the horrible, the horrible band? No, yeah. It, n- you know what? On that note, um, but anyway, sign okay. up for their letter. Philly dot com backslash extra innings. Is that correct? Um, yes. It's uh, it's a worthwhile thing to uh, to follow along with. It's it's starting to get starting to get real here for these Phillies. Um, so until next time, I'm Dave Murphy. Uh, this is Matt Breen in Cincinnati. Check out his coverage. Scott Lauber. Uh, you know he's just slacking this week. Uh, <laughs> I say after after uh, dude, you know what? Actually, before we wrap up, we should we should commend you guys for your your great work during the Chase Utley uh, you know the Chase Utley stretch, particularly that nineteen inning game. That was remarkable. Were you guys both there? That was all Breen. Uh, well, all right, never. So Scott oh, Lover has been slacking. I just, left. <laughs> just got home. Yeah, no. Well, there was a newsletter to be done that night, so I, I, I somebody was, had to do his newsletter. Thank yeah, you, Scott. Exactly. Yeah. You're like the, you're like the Dunkin' Donuts guy. Time to make the coffee. I am. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks.